All right, guys, we are going to get into the, the teaching of the Word today. Uh, I want to encourage you to get your notes out. You can find your notes in the bulletin. Uh, they're in our church app. For those of you that use the church app, they're attached to this video on our website, and they're also attached to this audio if you're listening to the podcast. Here's our big picture point today. This is what we want to get after. KBC is a presence-driven church. And can I just say that worship today just preached my sermon for me? KBC is a presence-driven church. This means we seek to encounter the manifest presence of God, both when we gather and in our personal lives. And so as I was praying about this and preparing this, I, uh, I want us to picture a spectrum, okay? And uh, I don't know if it looks, how does it look on the screen? Let's put that spectrum up there. Um, eh, it doesn't look great, but you'll just have to go along with me. So let's say way over here on this end of the spectrum is what we would call a seeker-sensitive church. What does a seeker-sensitive church do? They strip away everything that is supernatural so that somebody who maybe has never been to church or doesn't know anything about God, they can show up and it's safe and it's comfortable and it's easy, right? That's a seeker-sensitive church. Way over here on this end of the spectrum, for lack of a better term, we're going to call it the Holy Roller Church. All right, and that's where people are falling on the ground and they're flopping around and they're vibrating and they're doing weird things and... <laughs> yeah, hopefully they have carpets. We want to find ourselves in a balance. Definitely we skew to this side, right? We're charismatic. We're definitely closer to this side, but we don't think that's healthy, right? Stripping away everything that's supernatural. But we also don't think that this is healthy because we don't have to do weird things and be weird to manifest the presence of God, right? Right? But we definitely skew to this side. So this balance is what we call presence-driven. We want to experience the presence of God in such a way that our lives are shaped and formed and transformed, but also in such a way that if somebody does come that is new to church and, and doesn't really know what's going on, they can experience the presence of God in an authentic way that they are drawn into. It's not weird. It's not spooky. We're not doing goofy things that distract people, but it's authentic and it's powerful and they're drawn in. So that's what I mean by we are a presence-driven church. So today I want to teach on the manifest presence of God. And like I said, the, the worship time today just already preached my sermon for me. You say, what's the manifest presence of God? What we just experienced this morning was the manifest presence of God. But we're going to dig into this, and I want to start by, by talking about that we can view the presence of God from three angles. The first angle is his omnipresence, right, which means that God is everywhere all the time. King David wrote his song like this, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? 
If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take up the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will take hold of me. Right? So King David had this understanding, God is everywhere all the time. There's nowhere I can go. I can go to the highest point of heaven. I could go to the deepest part of Sheol. I could go to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the ocean. It doesn't matter where I go. I cannot get away from the Spirit of God. Right? So we've got His omnipresence. The second angle we could look at is His personal presence. Or other people might call it His indwelling presence or His abiding presence. And that is the reality that the Holy Spirit dwells within every believer in Christ. Right? 2 Corinthians 1.21, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Right? So everyone who becomes a believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is deposited inside of us and we come alive because God dwells within us. That's the personal presence of God. So a lot of people stop there. And if they stop there, what they struggle with or what they don't understand is when we make comments such as, uh, man, God really showed up at that meeting. And they're like, well, isn't God everywhere all the time? How can he show up if he's already there, right? Or, you know, man, the presence of God was really moving in church today. Well, isn't the presence of God always there, right? So if you stop at these first two angles, you don't understand those phrases, and you don't understand what we're pursuing. And sometimes, right, churches even mock what they don't understand. But if if God is everywhere all the time and we're just supposed to stop there, why are there so many verses in the Bible that say to draw close to God or to seek Him or to seek Him with all of your hearts? It's because there's a third angle of the presence, and it is His manifest presence, right? To manifest something just means that something is revealed, something takes physical shape, right? Something comes into focus, something becomes clear. That's what manifest means. So what do we mean when we say His manifest presence? We say it's His presence revealed in a tangible way. It's an experiential encounter with his presence, right? That's what we mean when we say God really showed up. Yes, we know he's always here, but sometimes he reveals his presence in a different way, in a tangible way that makes us so aware of it. Our purpose statement as a church, which our MC always repeats at the end of service every Sunday, because our hope is that if we repeat it constantly, we'll all know it by heart. But the first phrase of our purpose statement is that at Kauai Bible Church, we want everyone to encounter God. What is that all about? That's because we are a presence-driven church, and whenever we gather, we want to encounter the manifest presence of God. We want God to reveal his presence to us in a tangible way. Christian author and speaker Jake Kale wrote it like this. He said, his omnipresence means he is everywhere. His manifest presence means he is here. Right? We want to take it from the everywhere to the here and encounter God. 
I want to read Isaiah 64. You can see in your notes, this is kind of our core passage, even though there's going to be a ton of Bible verses in today's sermon. Uh, I actually texted Mason because Mason's the one who has to create all the slides. And I said, Mason, I'm so sorry, man. There are a ton of Bible verses. And he texted me back and he said, you never have to apologize for having a lot of Bible verses. And I got all fired up. I was like, whoo, thank you, Mason. So, but I want to start here in Isaiah 64 because I believe this is a beautiful cry for the manifest presence of God. Isaiah says, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, that the mountains would quake at your presence as fire kindles brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things which we did not expect, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence, for from days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you who acts in behalf of one who waits for him. Come on, Isaiah cries out, God, tear open the heavens and come down. Right? If, if, if we're just talking about the omnipresence of God, why would Isaiah pray that? Because Isaiah is crying out for the manifest presence of God. He's saying, God, come and shake us. God, come and burn like a fire, like it causes water to boil. God, make it hot in here. Come on, God, make yourself known. Isaiah has this cry for the manifest presence of God. We use the term revival a lot, right? It's a common phrase, and, and especially in charismatic, Pentecostal Christianity. But what do we mean when we use the word revival? Well, what we mean is an enduring manifestation of God's presence, one that is sustained over a period of time in one place or one region. So, for example, you've got the Welsh Revival, that took place for about a year from 1904 to 1905. It was led by Evan Roberts along with some other men. And the presence of God manifested, and then these men became carriers of the manifest presence of God. And every church service they went to in Wales, the presence manifested there, and it didn't leave for a whole year. And in that year, 100,000 people in Wales gave their lives to Christ, and then it spilled over to the rest of the United Kingdom in Scotland and Britain, and they estimate that upwards of a million people came to know Jesus because of the Welsh revival. So when, when you ask, what is a revival? It's when the manifest presence of God stays somewhere. It's what we experience this morning, but it doesn't stop all day and all night and all week and all month. That's what a revival is. This happened recently at Asbury University in, in Wilmore, Kentucky. Wilmore, Kentucky is a town of like 6,000 people. They have two stoplights. We actually have more stoplights than them. How amazing is that? And there's this Christian university. And last year on February 8th, they were having a chapel like they do every day, every week. But for some reason, this chapel was different. And when the chapel ended, the students didn't want to leave. They just lingered in the presence. Some students left and went to class, and when they got out of class, they realized that people still hadn't left. And the presence of God manifested in that place, 
and stayed there for several weeks. And this little town without any really hotels or tourist infrastructure, suddenly had 50,000 people visit them in one week from all over the world because they wanted to experience the manifest presence of God. So that's what we mean when we talk about revival. But I want to make sure that we understand that it's about the presence. I heard this from from Bishop T.D. Jakes. And uh, he said this, he was preaching a sermon about the promised land. And he said, but looking at the promised land is only camouflage because the real promise is not the land, it's the presence. You think this is about property? This is not about property, this is about presence. You're so busy trying to get the property that you don't understand presence. Right, And we can get so busy trying to get things from God and trying to be blessed by God that we get distracted that the most important thing is the presence of God. And that when we're in His presence, we're going to have everything we need. And so we want to be a presence-driven church. We want to pursue His manifest presence. So what do manifestations of His presence look like? I just want to give you a few examples today. One could be a dream or a vision. Some of you are very visual people, and God speaks to you in dreams and in visions. Jacob, in the Old Testament, had a vision of a ladder. And on the ladder, angels were ascending and descending to heaven. And then suddenly, God the Father, Yahweh, was standing at the top of the ladder, and he spoke a personal message to Jacob. And the Bible says, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, the Lord is certainly in this place, and I didn't know it. God manifested himself to Jacob through a vision, through a dream. And then suddenly you realize God is here and God is speaking to me, right? We read in the book of Acts that Paul and his traveling companions were trying to go here, and the Holy Spirit said no, and they were trying to go here, and the Holy Spirit said no, and then suddenly he has a vision of a Macedonian man crying out for help, and then he realizes, oh, that's where God wants me, right? So God can manifest his presence through a dream or through a vision. One of the most obvious ones is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Right, The first baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, Right, there was a mighty rushing wind. There were tongues of fire uh, appearing above their heads. They were praising God in languages they didn't know. That's a manifestation, yeah? To this day, all of us as believers have a right to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when you experience it, that's a manifestation of God's presence. There is no denying that God is just drenching you in his presence as you experience that. Sometimes it's something visible. Moses saw a burning bush. The children of Israel had a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Joshua, right before they attacked Jericho, saw the captain of the Lord's armies, which was Jesus, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus, stood before him, and Joshua fell to the ground. Today we sang about the fourth man in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the Babylonian guard says, I see a fourth person in there. 
Those are visible manifestations of the presence of God. It still happens today. I've read reports of people saying that the room they were gathering in began to fill with mist. A cloud began to fill the room. People have reported seeing gold dust sprinkling from the ceiling. Right? So God can manifest His presence by showing us something visible, something tangible. It can also be something audible. Think about the baptism of Jesus. After he was baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and settling on him. And behold, a voice from the heavens said, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Right? Jesus comes up out of the water. First, he sees something visible. It says the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. I want to make sure we understand it doesn't say the Holy Spirit was a dove. It just says he came down like a dove. But whatever it was, Jesus saw it. And then the heavens open up and God speaks audibly for everybody to hear. That's the manifest presence of God. When we can hear an audible voice speaking. Shannon has a bunch of amazing stories from going to youth camp as a teenager. So uh, you can sit down and talk story with her, and she can tell you all kinds. But she tells one story of one night at youth camp where they could hear the marching of the angel armies outside their room. It was something audible, and they were all hearing the same thing, right? God can manifest himself in something audible. What about the anointing or the power? Let's talk for a second about the anointing. Isaiah 10, 27. So it will be on that day that his burden will be removed from your shoulders and his yoke removed from your neck. Whose burden, whose yoke? Well, this is Isaiah, and he was prophesying at the time when the Assyrians had captured the northern kingdom and were keeping them under oppression and slavery. So he's specifically talking about the burden of the Assyrians. And he says, and the yoke will be broken because of fatness. Is that not the weirdest phrase you have ever heard? Now, I tell you guys, I love the NASB because it's the most literal translation of the Bible. But sometimes with the literal translation of the Bible, you run into phrases like this, where you're like, what the heck does it mean that the yoke is broken by the fatness? Do I just gain enough weight until the yoke pops off my shoulders? That Hebrew word is more commonly translated the anointing oil. So the yoke will be broken because of anointing oil. You may hear people use the phrase, the anointing breaks the yoke of bondage. Isaiah 58, 6, is this not the fast that I choose to release the bonds of wickedness, to undo the ropes of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Right? So there's this idea that the anointing oil, which in the Old Testament was actual oil that they would pour all over somebody, in the New Testament, we recognize the anointing oil as the manifest presence of God. When his anointing comes upon a person or when his anointing comes upon an entire gathering, we can recognize the manifestation of his presence. So you'll be in a worship service and all of a sudden you'll just realize we need to pray for the sick. God's power is manifesting here, and he wants to heal. 
On the first Sunday of January, right in the middle of worship, Shannon leaned over to me and said, you need to go up there right now and preach the gospel. The anointing is here. And I got up and I preached the gospel and two people got saved and we have a light bulb in our 24 now. Hallelujah. It's the anointing. It's the power. It might come upon you individually. You might be out in the community and you feel the manifest presence of God come on you and you know that you're supposed to pray for that person or share the gospel with that person. And then finally, the last manifestation I want to talk about is an overwhelming feeling. An overwhelming feeling. Now, this is so much more than just a chicken skin, okay? Yes, that happens sometimes, but it's so much more than that. Listen, we had somebody leave our church And I went and I asked him, I said, hey, why did you leave our church? And his answer was, because the Holy Spirit has left your church. And I was like, whoa, that's a pretty heavy accusation. I said, why do you think the Holy Spirit has left our church? And he says, because when we sing, I don't get the chicken skin anymore. Man, come on, guys. We got to have a deeper understanding of the presence of God than that. So, yes, we can get the chicken skin. But it's so much more than that. It's an overwhelming feeling. And it's a feeling that can be a mix of both joy and dread. Remember last week we read Meriwether Lewis's uh, journal entry when he saw the Rocky Mountains and he was filled with joy at seeing them, but he was also filled with dread because he knew how hard it was going to be? That's the overwhelming feeling that comes with the presence of God. It's an overwhelming joy because God is so good, but there's also a sense of dread because God is so holy, right? In 1 Kings chapter 8, when they were dedicating Solomon's temple, it says the priests were doing their work, right? They were sacrificing thousands of animals that day because this was a big deal. So the priests are doing their work, and they're sacrificing animals, and they're dedicating the temple, and then suddenly the manifest presence of God shows up, and it says that the priests could not stand to continue to do their work, right? So they're, they're sacrificing animals, and they're taking care of all the stuff, and then all of a sudden, they're just like, we just can't anymore, and, and they just did one of these, and it was an overwhelming feeling that the presence of God is here. Are you guys with me? So there's no one answer. There's no one way it looks. God is the most creative being in the universe, but what he does is he manifests himself. And he manifests himself specifically to those who invite him. Yes, he can come uninvited, right? Paul didn't invite him on the road to Damascus. The manifest presence of God just showed up and changed his life. But usually God waits for us to invite him. But why? Let me go through this quick because I want to camp out on the last part. What's the purpose of the manifest presence? Number one, it's to know him deeply. It's to know him deeply. When you are in the manifest presence of God, you are near to God, and you know him. He reveals something of himself, something of his nature to you. And by knowing him, you're changed, right? Your spirit, your life, your character is formed. 
In Ephesians 1, Paul prays this prayer. He says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. What is the revelation of the knowledge of Him? It's His manifest presence. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And I love this. Theologian Stephen J. Cole paraphrases Ephesians chapter 1 by saying this, because God has given us such a wealth of spiritual blessings, I pray that he would grant you a deeper experiential knowledge of him. Right? That's our desire. We want his manifest presence because we want a deeper experiential knowledge of him. And the more we know him, the more our lives are shaped, the more we overcome, the more we can turn away from sin. Number two, why the manifest presence? Because it transforms our motives and our attitudes. Think about Isaiah. In the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah has this vision of the manifest presence of God. He sees the Lord sitting on the throne. The train of his robe fills the temple. There's angels flying around him declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, right? Smoke begins to fill the temple. The temple begins to shake. And then in Isaiah 6 and verse 4, verse 5 Isaiah says this, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. But then one of the seraphim, the angels, flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and atonement is made for your sin. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. The manifest presence of God changed, transformed Isaiah's motives and attitudes. He went from woe is me to here I am, send me, right? He went from thinking completely about himself and his own experience in the presence of God to what can I do for the kingdom of God? What can I do in service of him? I've known people throughout my lifetime, I call them glory chasers. They just want to go from meeting to meeting and revival to revival because they just, they just want to seek the manifest presence of God. But it continues to be about them. An authentic experience in the presence of God should transform our motives and attitudes that we're no longer concerned about us but we're concerned about what can we be for the kingdom of God and how can I carry this thing to a lost world that desperately needs it. The manifest presence of God is to empower us for ministry. Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. Right? I would imagine that if a building starts shaking in the middle of a prayer meeting, that's a manifestation of God's presence. What happened because of it? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. Come on, when we are in the manifest presence of God, 
We are empowered for ministry. And then finally, to draw unbelievers to salvation, right? We don't want a seeker-sensitive service that strips away the presence of God so that we can give a logical presentation of the gospel. No, we want a presence that draws people in. That's why in Isaiah 64 that we read earlier, he said, to make your name known to your adversaries that the nations may tremble at your presence. We want an atmosphere where anybody who comes in is drawn in and they come to know God. Jack Hayford was one of the great preachers, pastors of the baby boomer generation. He has long since gone to be with Jesus. He wrote a book called The Manifest Presence of God. And I want to read an excerpt as he talked about this idea of the manifest presence in the midst of a church worship service. Jack Hayford writes, It isn't about music. It isn't about cultural awareness. It isn't about being cool or relevant. It isn't about misty-eyed intimacy with God, or what we would call the chicken skin. It isn't about theological accuracy about God, but... It's about the formation of hearts in the presence of God. It's about the shaping of disciples who know Him through being with Him. It's about the transforming work of the Holy Spirit achieves when pure worship occurs. And it's about preparation for the last battle. That's what this is about. We want to be shaped in the presence of God. We want to know Him so intimately that we will never be the same again. We want our hearts to be turned outward so that we care less about ourselves and more about a world in need. We want to be empowered to touch that world. And we want the world to be drawn into the kingdom of God. That's why we pursue His presence. So how do we experience it? Well, first, we have to know by faith that we have access to it. I don't know if anybody else is my age that was raised on Bugs Bunny, but uh, I grew up watching Bugs Bunny, and uh, one of the classic scenes in Bugs Bunny is there'd be a chase scene, right? It'd be like Elmer Fudd chasing Bugs Bunny or the coyote chasing the roadrunner, and somebody would run right off the edge of the cliff, but they wouldn't fall. They would just stand there suspended in air. And then the other person would be like, why aren't you falling? And their answer would be, because I never learned about gravity. We have to know we have access in order to go after it. So we know that in the Old Testament, the manifest presence of God was represented by the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, he manifested himself other ways, but that was the one place that everybody knew was his manifest presence. That Ark was put behind a veil, a thick, heavy curtain, so that nobody could access it, except one man on one prescribed day per year until Jesus went to the cross. And Mark writes, but Jesus let out a loud cry and died, and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying that it was God that was tearing this veil in half. And when that veil was torn, the manifest presence of God is now made available to everybody. It's not hidden. You don't need a priest to go there for you. We all have access. 
Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let's approach God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Come on, we have to know we have access. Jesus made a new way for us through his flesh on the cross, and now we can come boldly before the throne of God. We have to know we have access. Once we know we have access, what do we do? Well, listen, I want to make it very clear. God is sovereign, and he can do what he wants whenever he wants. So there is no formula for accessing the manifest presence of God. I know people love formulas. Give me a three-step how-to, and we'll get it done. There's no formula. All we can do is prepare the environment and ask him to come. Whether he comes or not is up to him. So how do we prepare the environment? Number one, repentance. The manifest presence of God is not going to come where unrepentant sin is reigning. James wrote this. He said, submit therefore to God, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. That's the manifest presence of God. Okay, well then how do I come close to God? Well, James makes his context obvious by saying, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. The context of drawing near to God is repentance. Let's repent of our sin. Let's be brokenhearted over our sins. Let's humble ourselves. And we will create an atmosphere for the manifest presence of God. So our first, our first priority is let's deal with sin. We deal with it corporately, but we also deal with it personally with God. Let's deal with our sin. The second thing we do to create the environment is obedience. Jesus said this, the one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will reveal myself to him. Again, there's that revelation, that manifest presence of God. What is it? It's obedience. When we're doing what God told us to do. The third thing is hunger. I want to go to Exodus 33, both for this point and my next point, because there's two episodes in Exodus 33 that illustrate creating an environment for the manifest presence of God. The first is hunger. The Bible says that Moses would set up the tent of meeting outside the camp. And then it says, whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud, the manifest presence of God, would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And then skipping to verse 11, so the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. But here's the part I want you to get. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tents. I want to talk about the hunger of Joshua. 
Who was Joshua at this point? He was the intern. He was the apprentice. He only got to go into the presence of God because he was tagging along with Moses. And yet when Moses would finish talking to God and would walk out of the tent, Joshua didn't want to leave. Why? Because there was a hunger for the presence of God. There was a longing to say, I just want to stay right here. And of all the points today, this is the one that God is dealing with me personally. Because I love what's happening here, man. Man, we got our first light bulb. People are getting saved. People are jiving into the masterpiece process. We're discipling people. We're making new generations of discipleship. The presence of God is happening in our worship services. I love what's happening here. But in my quiet time, I feel God continuing to press on me. Are you hungry enough for more? And when I look at my life, my life does not yet reflect that I'm hungry enough for more. I read about the Welsh revival. I read about the Azusa Street revival. And I read about the hunger that was required. And when you're hungry, you inconvenience yourself, right? Joshua had a lot of things he could have been doing, but he just wanted to stay in the tent. Are we willing to inconvenience ourselves because we're hungry enough for the presence of God? What does that mean? Maybe it means coming to church early and beginning to seek His presence before anybody else gets here. Maybe it means getting up earlier every day or staying up later every night so that we can pursue His presence and, and, and nurture that hunger for His presence. Maybe it's staying and lingering after everybody else has left. I don't know what it looks like for you, but what I know is that God is pressing on me. Are you hungry for more? Because to get from one light bulb to 24 light bulbs is going to require more. I'll stop there. That's what God's dealing with with me. And finally, it's pursuits. It's pursuits. The next episode in Exodus 33, and I can have the worship team come back up. The next episode in Exodus 33 is Moses up on the mountain with God. And in the midst of his interaction with God, Moses prays three prayers, three simple prayers that exemplify pursuits. The first prayer in verse 13, Moses says, Now then, if I have found favor in your sight in any way, please let me know your ways so that I may know you in order that I may find favor in your sights. His first prayer in the presence of God is, Lord, let me know you. I want to know your ways. I want to know how you tick. I want to know your character. I want to know how you function. Lord, I want to know you. His second prayer in verse 15, then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. His second prayer was, I only want to go where your presence is going. I don't want to be anywhere outside of your presence. And then finally, verse 18, then Moses said, please show me your glory. I want to see the fullness of who you are. And God said, you can't, but I'm going to show you as much as your human flesh can handle. And God showed him so much that when Moses came down the mountain, his face was glowing like a light bulb. Show me your glory. These are prayers of pursuits. I want to know you. 
I only want to go where your presence is. Show me your glory. I mentioned earlier, God manifests his presence when he's invited. So pursuit is inviting. It's inviting through prayer. It's inviting through worship. Right? Jeremiah 29, 13. If you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your hearts. There is a pursuit that needs to happen because God responds to invitations from his people. When we say, Lord, come. So will we nurture our hunger? Will we inconvenience ourselves? Wake up early, stay late to just be hungry for his presence. Will we pursue it in our personal prayer time, in our prayer closet, when we're all alone? Will we pursue his presence? Will we invite his manifest presence? And then when we gather on Sundays, when we gather in home groups and discipleship groups, will we pursue his presence together in worship? Will we deal with the sin in our lives so that it doesn't hold back the presence and power of God from what he wants to do in and through Kauai Bible Church? Will we continue to be obedient to do what he tells us to do, like building a big two and four and putting it on the stage? He told me to do it, so I did it because I want to see his presence. I want to see what it looks like when he moves at Kauai Bible Church. Will you stand with me? Obviously, I've been praying and studying this all week, and I walk my dog every day, kind of like clockwork at lunchtime unless something gets interrupted, and I usually put my AirPods in, and I listen to a guided meditation while I'm walking my dog. And one of the guided meditations I was listening to this week was in Isaiah 33, and it speaks of God who is exalted, who dwells on high. The God who is the stability of our times. And then it gets to verse 10, and it says, Now I will arise, says the Lord. Now I will be exalted. Now I will be lifted up. And when I heard that verse in my ears, the presence of God just manifested. I could tell you exactly where I was on the driveway, just coming around the bend. And I was overwhelmed with this sense, and I just began to cry out, arise, Lord, arise. And I swear, you can question me because this wasn't one of those windy days. I felt the wind begin to blow at my back. Come on. We want the presence. We want God to arise. We want to create environments, and then we want to invite him to come. He doesn't have to come. That's up to his sovereignty, but we're always going to make an environment for him to come. By exalting him, when we exalt him, he's welcome to come. And so that's what we're going to do today. That's what we're going to continue to do day after day and week after week as a presence-driven church. We're going to exalt him. We're going to repent. We're going to be obedient. We're going to nurture the hunger, and then we're just going to invite him. Come, Lord. Come, Jesus. So let's begin right now to exalt the Lord.